This is the Retail Politics Podcast. Here we strive to give you the best political information about your nation. One download at a time. Here's your host, former congressional correspondent and award-winning reporter, Jerry Shields. Thank you, Dave, and thank you listeners for spending 30 minutes of your precious time with us as we discuss the political issues confronting America. Happy Mother's Day to all those celebrating, and thanks to all the moms who went through the labor to birth our nation as it stands today. Today, we will discuss the first few months of the administration of President Joe Biden with David Hawkins, former longtime editor of Congressional Quarterly Weekly Magazine, which is a staple that pivots media coverage on Capitol Hill in Washington. How are you, David? I am. I'm really well and glad to hear your voice, Jerry. Yes, you too. It's good to reconnect. You know, I got a funny political Mother's Day story. So I was a reporter in a rural county north of Orlando, and we had a Republican property appraiser. And as a true Republican, he hated the media. And I was in the supermarket and he was in line and he said, hey, what are you doing here? I said, I'm picking up a Mother's Day car. And he said, oh, I didn't know reporters had mothers. <laughs> and I had to laugh because it was so quick. Um, I don't like giving marks on the first hundred days of a presidential administration. I think it's kind of silly because you don't really have as, enough time to get it going. But President Biden has been very active from day one, issuing executive orders, kind of undoing a lot of the things that the Trump administration did. But it's also showed some of the challenges he's going to have, particularly on issues such as immigration and gun control. You've been in the business for years and uh, have been around several presidents. What do you think? What are you observing so far in these first few months? Well, so first, I totally agree with you that I don't know who thought up this 100-day trick or rubric or, 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 or mark. It's, it's kind of a phony mark. It doesn't mean anything. And it's, and it's not all that fair to, to assess how, how an administration is going after 100 days, but, but that's what we do. So that's what we're going to do, I guess. Um, you know, I think he's he, the, the trick that I think Biden is succeeding at. You sort of you sort of alluded to in, in your setup to the question, which is um, he has done a lot of different things by executive order, and he's taken a lot of actions, and he's obviously made important nominations, and he's making a lot of pers- important personnel uh, decisions that are making the political uh, the, the political underpinnings of his administration more uh, diverse than any others in the past. He has rolled back a lot of things that Trump did. So on the one hand, he's been all over the place and busy. But on the other hand, um, he's really tried to keep the nation focused on just two things, the pandemic and the e- economic recovery uh, necessitated by the pandemic. So I think it's, it's been a kind of a clever, a clever move that he's he's done a bunch of things that that niche groups, niche uh, for good or ill, niche critics and niche advocates think are smart and good and overdue. But in the main, he's focused the entire, try to focus the entire country on only a couple of things and not allowed himself to get distracted by uh, things that other people want to talk about. You know, the conservative media, for example, uh, all over the border crisis, the so-called border crisis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just, you know, they're, they're sticking to their knitting. They're not, they're not going to, they're, they're, they're very disciplined. He's very disciplined. Uh, in a way that, you know, that was not the book on Joe Biden was that he wasn't disciplined, that he right. sort of had shiny penny syndrome and would yep. talk to whatever you asked him he'd or whatever mm-hmm. caught his fancy, he'd start talking about. It. In contrast, he'd stay pretty focused. So I think that's yeah. 
I think that's to the good. Yeah, and it is the pandemic that has really taken a, a focus, and he really has grabbed the reins. I think he's got the nation kind of galloping in the right direction. I went and got my shots at one of his FEMA sites. National Guard was there. You walk in, you get the shot, wham, bam. Thank you, Uncle Sam. But um, I've heard that you know, former President Donald Trump's uh, aides are saying, hey, he should get out there and do a public service announcement urging people to get the shots because it was really under him that these vaccines were developed. I know we had warp speed. I don't know if that how effective that was. But is Biden getting, you know, a lot of credit? Should he get all that credit? Uh, in some ways, no, to be honest. I mean, yeah, the, 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 the Trump loyalists are correct that, that one of the one of the um, Biggest successes of his administration was getting the vaccine developed as fast uh, as they did. Mm-hmm. It's also the case that the president, former president, didn't. He was pretty ambivalent about the shot and about taking the shot, and they took the shot, but we didn't know that he took the shot. Um, I mean, you know, we have we only the the old the old cliche is we got one president at a time, and uh-huh. for good or ill, you know, come January twentieth. All the all the previous guys' the successes and failures are now yours to manage. So, yeah, no, I think it's it's it is true um, that that the that the vaccine development did happen on Trump's watch, but the rollout was off to a much slower start uh, at the in the closing weeks of the Trump presidency, uh, and Biden's ramped it up, and now and Biden could now use a little bit of. I mean, boy, what would really help would be if. Um, Donald Trump would take to the airwaves, could do a public service announcement and say to the millions and millions of his of his voters. I mean, the polling shows it's yeah. it's Republican, it's Trump mm-hmm. voting men, white men who are, are the most resistant to this thing. And if Donald Trump would go on the air uh, and tell him to get get vaccinated, he would he could start repairing his reputation a little bit. Yes, he could. We're we're once again ravaged by these mass shootings, and it always raises the specter of gun control in America. And I was covering Congress in 2012 when the Newtown, Connecticut shootings happened at the Sandy Hook Elementary School. A crazy man with an assault rifle walked into a school, killed 26 people, including 20 children. And I thought at that time that, you know, finally that would bring Congress, the administration to the table to do something about these mass shootings. And it didn't happen. We had the Toomey uh, bill, Pat Toomey, Republican of uh, Pennsylvania, West Virginia's Joe Manchin, a Democrat. They introduced an amendment to basically expand background checks to close the, the, um, the break that they get at gun shows to not have to go through them and online sales. And if it didn't happen, then I just don't ever see it happen. And what do you think on that? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's any, any much closer to happening. It's certainly not uh, to circle back to what I was saying a few minutes ago. This is, you know, Biden, who was, who was part of gun control. I mean, he was a, a force the last time. Um, of course, he was the one who, who tried, who worked with when he was vice president, worked with Manchin and Toomey. Uh, to try and get that done, didn't get it done back when he was the in the Senate and running the Senate Judiciary Committee. He helped get the assault weapons ban that only lasted for, I guess it was 10 years, get that done. You w- There would have been a temptation for him to try and throw some political uh, muscle behind this, but he's not. he is not doing it, um, I think, because he doesn't want to lose and he expects that he would lose. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, the NRA is a mess. The organization mm-hmm. of the NRA is oh, yes. Yes. You know, what it's a, a mess. Hot, yeah. It's a hot mess of, of internal 
sort of greed and corruption and the New York State Attorney General is is crawling all over them. And so they're weaker than they used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 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 um, I'm I'm just not sure the politics are there to change it. Um, and uh, certainly it's not where he's it's does not seem like it's in the top 10 of his list of things to do. Yeah. One of the things, I guess, when he started, he was saying he was going to work with the Republicans and he was all about bipartisanship. But I think very early he seemed to just realize this wasn't going to happen and has abandoned that and moved on to just trying to push his agenda. Do you think he's, do you think it's been that way? Well, I think, you know, he he, he tries to make an interesting distinction, which is he says, uh, I'm, I'm willing to work in a bipartisan way to win over Republicans, but the but those Republicans don't have to be necessarily members of Congress who can vote for or against my bill. They can also be just people out in the country who are supporting what I'm, I'm out to do. So he says, I'm, I think the way he's trying to cover for himself and stay true to his promise is say, I'm trying to win over Republicans and get bipartisan support all over the country for what I'm trying to do. And that worked on the first COVID relief bill. It was overwhelmingly popular. Mm-hmm. Um, much of what he's trying to do now seems to have that kind of solid support. Now, I think. He is, as we remember, that first COVID relief bill uh, was done entirely with Democratic support. Uh, it was done through this special, this special system in Congress for budget bills that allows you to do things without a filibuster by just muscling it through on 51 votes. For now, he's not talking about doing that again. For now, he's doing some some conversations with Republicans, mm-hmm. um, meeting as you and I are talking now. Uh, he's getting ready to meet with the entire Republican leadership in the next day or two, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly think he's it's a little bit on this bill, this second big bill, this four. I mean, this is an enormous thing. Four trillion dollars. Mm. Um, is he willing to cut it back so much so to get some Republican votes? I really doubt it. But I think he's on this one. He's going to take a little bit more time to try and woo them. And as I say, to pay more attention to trying to build public support among people who identify as independents or Republicans are out in the country. Well, he's also, I mean, he's a veteran. He probably knows government as as good as anybody in Washington. And, you know, you tend to say, all right, I want four trillion, but he really only needs 2.8. He knows that. So he's going to scale it back and get to 2.8. That's what they try to do. But everybody's kind of kind of up on that. Immigration, too. been a vexing problem for the last few administrations. And um, he initially said he was going to keep the Trump um, limits in place. I think it was at 15,000 and then got a lot of blowback from Democratic supporters. And then he raised it. I think he quadrupled it. But illegal crossings, 20 year high right now. What can he do about this? And uh, is it going to continue to be kind of a stone in his shoe? Yeah, I think it is going to continue to be a stone in his shoe. And I'm not sure that uh, that there is much he can do about it. I think on this one, this is this this really um, his Republican critics, opponents um, don't want to let him wriggle out out of this. I don't think. I don't. I think they're not willing, not interested in, in a compromise. I mean, what's the you know the same the same solution is the same solution that's been um, out there since. You know, you and I worked on Capitol Hill, covering Capitol Hill together mm-hmm. as many years ago. It's it is a it is a comprehensive. You know, wrap it all up into one big package so that there's a little bit of pain and a little bit of reward for everybody that right. tackles legal immigration, that tackles mm-hmm. temporary and seasonal workers, that tackles um, 
high-tech workers, uh, and that also tackles border security, and that tackles uh, creating, you know, a somewhat difficult but nonetheless clear path to citizenship and full acceptance for um, for the people who who are here illegally. And only, you know, that's that's the big long-term solution. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't see that as I don't see that in the top. Maybe it's in the top five. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, time clock is ticking, Jerry. You know, this mm-hmm. is we've got uh, we talked we joked about a hundred days, but you know, twenty twenty two is kind of around the corner. Cat crawls crawls up on on these politicians really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, by um, a year from today, like Memorial Day twenty twenty two, a lot of a lot of um, any, any willingness to collaborate will probably uh, be set on hold while they fight over the control of the Congress. So he doesn't have that many battles to that he can mm-hmm. pick. He, he might have a Supreme Court nomination between now and then. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I don't know how many more battles he can pick. He's got this the the the, the thing that I've been paying a lot of attention to. Um, this bill called HR1, this big grand sweeping. Mm-hmm. Um, democracy reform bill that would not only set federal standards for voting, but would also improve the campaign finance system, mm-hmm. would take um, take partisan politics out of the drawing of congressional districts. It would improve government ethics. There's going to be a lot of pressure on him to throw in strongly for that this summer, maybe even break the filibuster to get that done. So there's, there's a lot of big, you know, and then, of course, the thing that we've sort of only glanced at as we've chatted here is this this four trillion dollar bill would like remake the whole social compact between the federal mm-hmm. government and the people. I mean, it's a huge, huge deal. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how yeah. many more things he can do. Yeah, and you you used to edit the Congressional Quarterly um, Politics in America, and uh, that was an exhaustive annual you know analysis of con of Congress. It was a kind of little bible, and as reporters, we kind of waited for that. Like uh, you know, the kids used to wait for the Christmas Sears catalog, you know, <laughs> the wish list. And uh, Biden is facing many hurdles in Congress, as you mentioned. We're eighteen months from the midterm elections, and that's just kind of crazy to to think because we just got through this crazy the election, but already five uh, Democrats in battleground states have said they're not going to run for re-election, and they've only got a six-seat majority there. So uh, what do you see happening? I mean, this could really puncture his agenda. Right. I mean, I would rather be be Kevin McCarthy than than uh, Nancy Pelosi, right? Looking looking at that. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. Although, although Pelosi, you know, she she has, by the way, she has said this is her last term as the speaker, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether that's she'll end up going out on her own uh, by her own choice or by the voters choice. But I guess we don't know yet. But right. No, you're you're exactly right. There are a handful of of House Democrats have already said they're not going to run again, including, um, I'd say most notably, a woman named Sherry Bustos of Illinois, who just two years ago ran the Democratic campaign operation. Wow. And the reason she ran the Democratic campaign operation was because she had she was she had figured out the formula back home in in rural farm country of Illinois for being a Democrat and winning time and again in a district that went for Donald Trump by like double digits. Wow. So that was that was her magic formula. And that's why they her colleagues asked her to run the campaign committee last year. Didn't really work out that well. She's looking at, you know, trying to run again in the first Biden midterm, which is never good, right? The, the the first midterm of a new president's term is always crappy for the president's party. It's always sure much better for the out party. Yeah, sure is. 
So, yeah, I would say you combine uh, the natural that sort of midterm thing bad for the president's party. You combine that with redistricting where mm-hmm. many of the, the seats, the new seats, the, new, the, the winners in the redistricting are in are red places, not blue places. Um, and, the, and they're in states run by Republicans who can draw the maps. Um, it's yeah, it doesn't, doesn't look good. Well, it's a perfect storm, right? It's a perfect storm for Republicans because, as you say, I mean, as you say, like even here, I'm 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 in Florida, and uh, they just passed what they call election reforms, and you know, basically, they've instituted policies and laws that are going to supposedly help them get more Republican votes, and that's happening all across the country. And then you got retirements, and then you got people running for, you know, re-election. So you're right. I mean, the clock is ticking. We're in the uh, we're in the third quarter with the fourth quarter quick approaching and um yeah i mean uh do you think these election reforms he's talking about this bill you're keeping an eye on does that help at all do you think well it would it would it would help um it it, it would it would certainly help tamp down on um this this no, the, the ability of republicans to pass these laws like the, your new one in florida like the one that is taking a big step forward even as we're speaking uh in Texas, already, of course, the one in Georgia, a couple of lesser ones, known ones in, you know, Iowa and Arizona. There's going to be other fights in all the big, all the big battleground states run by Republicans. Um, this this bill that I'm talking about in Congress called H.R. 1 would essentially, um, it would impose a federal standard that the that the these Republican legislatures could not undercut. So in other words, it would say, for example, uh, every state has to have 15 days of in-person early voting. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't, a state couldn't have a law that would allow fewer than that. It would say every state has to ha- allow its citizens to get an absentee or mail-in ballot without an excuse. Uh, it would say that um, uh, every state has to allow automatic voter re- have, have automatic voter registration. All it, so, in other words, it would combat several of the. Uh, it, it would it would countermand or neutralize many of these Republican efforts to make make access to the ballot tougher. Would it, do, would, be, would it be able to do that in time for the 2022 election? A bit unclear. I mean, the, the bill, um, you know, as, as we've said, clock's ticking. This bill was first introduced two years ago, mm-hmm. uh, back when there seemed to be pl- plenty of time before the 2022 election. Now mm-hmm. it's getting close. So whether, even if, and then this bill is not gonna pass in its current form, uh, even if they break the filibuster, uh, there are some conservative Democrats like Joe Manchin, who keeps coming up in every conversation about politics these days, who think it goes too far. But it would help. It would. And and one of the things we talked about, and I think he's basically called these Republican voting measures, um, he calls it 21st century Jim Crow because he believes that, you know, was the black vote was critical in getting him elected. And that's who they're targeting with this. But also the whole racial pulse of the country because of the George Floyd killing. Um, he's talking about police reforms. He's talking about trying to get rid of systematic racism. It's 30 years this year since the Rodney King beat. Meeting. Right. Um, and you were 12 back then, I believe. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. But um, <laughs> but um, it just seems to be something that's going to be hard to get his arms wrapped around. Do you think so? I think so. I think it's hard. It, it is. I mean, I think I think he's he is. I mean, this this voting bill and this bill called H.R. One. Then there's another bill named after the late uh, civil rights icon and Atlanta Congressman John Lewis. That's a would tackle voting rights in a different way. Very, very important way. It would Essentially, it would it would 
tell states um, with bad with histories of racial discrimination in their politics that they have to get permission, federal permission before mm-hmm. changing their rules. Mm-hmm. Doing those two things, um, I think, you know, would be a, and and restoring faith in the political process a little bit in 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 black communities would be would be huge. Um, more economic justice would be huge. Um, it's a, it's a big, obviously they don't call it systemic racism for nothing. I mean, it's a Mm -hmm. systemic problem. And one president in two years, Mm -hmm. as you say, uh, probably can't, can't tackle it all by himself. He's, you know, I I think we should not under value, uh, the kinds of people he's put in his administration. It's the most diverse administration ever. Uh, if he does get a Supreme court vacancy to fill, He's promised to fill it with an African-American woman. Um, these are more, these I think are more than symbolic. You, you actually, I mean, this is what, you know. You said it, Tony. You said it, right? You're yeah, actually getting yeah, people, yeah. putting people at the table mm-hmm. with uh, mm-hmm. different worldviews. Right. Who can who can act on those worldviews in a way that's meaningful? Right, and it's setting a tone. And I think people who have have seen what he's done initially says, well, at least we're turned around and moving in the right direction. Um, you know, from their standpoint, I was so glad to hear that you're still uh, doing some uh, some fine work in uh, politics and and government. Uh, you were you retired from congressional quarterly in 2018, and you started a, a, a um, vehicle, I guess I'll call it, called the Fulcrum. Tell us about that. Right. The, the Fulcrum. Uh, it's, it's what we, we, when we launched it, we claimed, and I think it's still true, the first uh, nonprofit, nonpartisan uh, news site that is devoted entirely to covering uh, the issues of the, of the broken democracy. Uh, the, the, the idea here was that there was, and this was in 2018, before some of the issues that we've just been chatting about became front page news before voting rights, voter suppression, uh, you know, a president who was tackling the very foundation, foundational aspects of democratic norms really took hold. Uh, our, our mission has been to try and talk about all aspects of the broken democracy, money and politics, partisan gerrymandering, slip, you know, confusing election laws, voter suppression, mm-hmm. slipshod government mm-hmm. ethics. Uh, lack of civic education, you know, all this, there's, that's sort of the, those are the big topics on the, the, the menu of things that people say has, have led to our broken system, the broken Congress. Um, and we've been about nothing but covering that for the last sure. two and a half years. That's great. And then you work for a group called Issue One. Tell us about who they are. So Issue One was the, was the, the people who helped start mm-hmm. the, the fulcrum and they are, um, but they they gave the fulcrum total editorial independence, um, but their their reason for starting it, as I understand it, because I don't speak for them, but they they saw they're a, they are a bi, they view themselves as a bipartisan political reform group. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of these political reform debates skew pretty left, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and issue one has gone out of its way to try and find areas that Republicans can buy into, as it, that it's in both Republicans' interests and Democrat interests. To, to reduce the amount of money in politics, to reduce partisan gerrymandering, et cetera. So that's 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 what they that's who they are, and they thought that uh, good journalism to about these stories and smartly argued op eds. We had a pretty an fresh op ed every day, at least one. Mm-hmm. Um, that would help that. Yeah. Now, how could people get the fulcrum? Oh, the fulcrum.us. Okay, that's, that's easy. Free. 
Yeah, Oprah, that's awesome. And it comes out every day? Uh, website's updated at least once a day. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So today is Mother's Day, so I'm going to throw out, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, maybe how your mother influenced you and, and what you you know decided to do with your life. Oh, that's it. That's an easy one. And I'm, I'm glad you asked. This is, um, so she was a news junkie. Um, and from, you know, so and that in a way that being a news junkie in, you know, 1960, when I was born was a little harder to do than it is now. now. Sure. She no social media, no, right? She wasn't, she wasn't no phones. the smartphone and she was, <laughs> <laughs> but what she did do was she, um, she <laughs> And there wasn't any, there was no cable TV. There was no, uh, you know, right. no news, cable news channels. What there was, I, we, I grew up in New York City, uh, where we had an all news AM radio station. Uh, there were two of them, actually. And there were the CBS radio O and O owned and operated by CBS radio AM 880. Mm-hmm. She had that radio on from the time I woke up in the morning till the time I went off and did my homework at night. Wow. So she was slowly infiltrating your brain with That's the right. sound waves, so, right? So I knew I knew my gold water from my Lyndon Johnson and I knew my John Newton <laughs> from my Air <laughs> That's great. And I got the bug thanks to her. And then she, you know, like like she would quiz me at dinner. And we she That's awesome. She was way more conservative than me, I think, but uh she always was in, in it for a good argument. So she taught me yeah, the you know, of arguing and bringing the facts to the table. Well, she did a wonderful job. She did. She did a wonderful job. And I thank you for joining us today. As I said, I'm just so glad to hear you uh, still doing what my old mentor, Richard Ben Kramer, used to call the Lord's work. The Lord's work. It's great to uh, have you out there. And uh, we'll, we'd love to have you back sometime. Thanks for joining us. I'd love it. Thank you, Jerry. And now let me bring our Wizard of Pods, our technical producer, Brad, maybe in to discuss Mother's Day. How are you, Brad? I'm good. How are you, sir? I'm doing all right. So, you know, I was thinking with Mother's Day, I was thinking about like the great greatest lesson we were asking uh, Dave about, you know, what impact his mom had on his news. And, you know, when my mom passed away, I, I was thinking about uh, Marshall Field, the guy who started the Marshall Field's department store, Marshall's, which is now. So he had these uh, 12 values of success that he put out. And they were really interesting because they coupled words that wouldn't be together. So he called one the dignity of simplicity. So you don't think of simplicity as dignified. You think of simplicity as boring or stupid or whatever. But one of the things that he had was the power of kindness. And that was an interesting connection, too, because power is defined as the ability to get things done. And most people use force to get things done. But she was uh, she was kind of a soft touch. And she really showed me that, you know, you get a lot done by being uh, kind with people. How about you? What did your mom teach you? Uh, zero. My mom was, uh, <laughs> was uh, I believe it was, I, I've, I'm the victim of being raised by a narcissist. Oh uh, my, oh my. Yeah. Oh, there's uh, been a lot of them. Yeah. So I, 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 I literally, I, I could think for the next 15 minutes, very long and hard about any lesson I've learned from my mom. And I'm pretty sure I would come up with nothing. In fact, uh, I haven't even spoke to the woman now. Oh my. I, I, I want to say it'll be six years this fall. Sometime wow. around Thanksgiving wow. will be wow. six years. I well, it's funny because, you know, you know, you, you go into work and there's a lot of people, that, you know, you're not going to like anybody. But I saw this great fate, uh, saying where our tormentors are our teachers. And that's a hard thing to swallow. But in a way, it's kind of right. I mean, you know. They kind of sharpen our edges or, you know, whatever it is that um, they, they do. And we do end up getting something. 
Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I reckon. I, I, I am the. I think I am the product of a marriage that was. Let's have a kid <laughs> to save the marriage. Yeah, yeah. And then that didn't the work, and yes, then they were yeah. stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah, and it is funny because I was asking David Hawkins about his mother, and uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a tough area to tread because you know on, on every family didn't grow up with Carol Brady and June Cleaver. I mean, it was uh, there were some rough uh, there were some rough battles out there, you know, and um, yeah, but I guess it takes all kinds, you know what I mean? Well, the 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 one shining quality that my mother has is that. She enjoys giving people bad news. <laughs> That'll give you any indication of what I was raised by. So, so my mother truly enjoyed raining on my parade as often as she could. So, so it was news, though. It's news. <laughs> it's, so there was some news connection there. So there you true, go. Yeah. Well, thank you, buddy. You have a, a great weekend. Uh, we'll be back and uh, let's uh, let's wrap it up here. Uh, we will be back next week with another rolling edition of the Retail Politics Podcast. I want to thank our executive producer, Mike Gugat, of course, our technical producer, Brad Maybe, our Dave, our announcer, and our contributing voice talent, John Terzis, the voiceover Tampa Bay. And always remember... To read beyond the headlines. Have a great week! With the front row, award-winning reporter Gerard Shields takes you into the vanishing world of print news to a time when stories were reported, not invented or twisted. Imagine you have press credentials in the front row with Shields throughout his decades-long newspaper career covering political corruption, scandal, and heroics during the critical events of our time. With dozens of Amazon five-star reviews, Shields' latest work the Front Row is a passionate study of American journalism while delivering his own invaluable life lessons. The Front Row by Gerard Shields. Available now at Amazon.com.